Well, let me invite you to remain standing out of expectation of hearing from God's Word as we study it together and turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 10 is where we will be this morning. It's always useful to have a Bible open in front of you as we study it together. So if you don't happen to have one, we invite you to grab one of the blue Bibles that should be in a chair back in front of you and turn to page 869. Our series through Luke continues marching on slowly but surely. And we come to the end of chapter 10 today as we just want to look at the last five verses. A rather famous scene involving Mary and Martha and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me begin our time by reading our text and then I want to pray uh, once again briefly that God would bless our study of His Word together and then we will begin. So let us hear now as God speaks to us through His Word. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Mary, I'm sorry, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious? and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And Redeemer Church, what do we know about God's Word? Let's pray together once again. Father, we do bow before You now. Uh, coming to You after a week of commuting back and forth, within our callings in the world, and we come now to commune with You and commune with Your Son, Jesus Christ, through Your Word. Uh, We come to You after a week full of listening to words from the world. Uh, We come now to receive a word from You, who is King and Lord. And so we pray that You would speak to us clearly, that the Spirit would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from this Word, that You would help us to respond in faith and repentance, that You would help me to preach boldly and clearly as I ought to speak, That you would help us to hear as though eternity hangs in the balance for your word tells us we are not promised another sermon. We are not promised another day. So help us to receive Christ as the Lord of eternity and even the Lord of our souls this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It was last year that The Atlantic Magazine ran an article in their business section entitled, I'm So Busy, in quotes, a status symbol for our time. And it was just a couple of years ago that I read a book on the subject of busyness in which the author recalled an anecdote about a woman who had visited the United States from another country and took to calling herself busy. Because after she met people around the city and the state in which she was traveling, she noticed more often than not someone introduced themselves as, hello, I'm busy. And so she thought it was just a traditional part of the American greeting to acknowledge one's status as being busy. And it's true, isn't it, if you think about it, busyness is the business of many people, if not most people today, uh, even Christians. For you can look into a brother or sisters in Christ's life, and you won't have to look very long before you will likely see that person doing much work for the Lord, serving in the church, serving their family, being obedient in many spheres and areas of their life. But perhaps you know it's true that once you begin to get to know the person more, it's entirely possible that you'll see a curtain of sorts peeled back from their life and 
the lots of labor for the Lord seems to mask a little communion, living daily communion with Jesus Christ. And we know that the same thing can happen in churches. You can go visit a local church, many in our area, and what you'll find is a vast hustle and bustle of programming and ministries. And you'll immerse yourself into the life of the church. Before you know it, you'll be doing six or seven different things. And then you may pause and stop and ask yourself, well, where is the proclamation of Christ amidst all of the programming? Is it possible that in our spiritual lives that we have forgotten to keep the main thing, the main thing? And that is, at root, what Jesus is after in our passage this morning. And Luke, even recording it for our hearing, is wanting us to know this simple truth and big idea from five simple verses. Is that hearing Christ's word is the great work of Christ's disciples. That listening to Jesus Christ is the greatest work of his people. And I dare say it's a truth that we often are prone to underemphasize, maybe even undervalue in our life in Christ together because it seems so elementary and basic and simple. But students, what you want to see this morning is oftentimes in Scripture, the very simplest things are the most significant things, made plain so that even a child can understand it. So you might be in here this morning, you're a member here at Redeemer, you're planning to go out to lunch with maybe a guest who's seated next to you, or a close friend in the church afterwards today, and maybe you can use the time over a good meal to discuss and converse with one another over the things of this text and even honestly examine yourself to ask whether or not my life is distracted by many good things, so much so that I can no longer be devoted to the one best thing. And you could even also be in here this morning, and maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe you're seeking after the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see from this text not only that, of course, Jesus is worth seeking after, but where you find him, where you meet with him. Because God in his grace has not made finding his son Jesus Christ as some sort of a spiritual treasure map quest that you have to have all the clues just right in order to be able to find him. He's made it plain for us in his word. And so I just want to walk through our five verses under a few simple headings. And kids, you might think of it as a countdown of sorts. Three, two, one. So first we'll look at three people. Then two responses and one priority. Three people, two responses, and one priority. So three people. Look at how verse 38 begins. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary. So we know from John's Gospel that Mary and Martha lived in the village of Bethany, which is about two miles southeast of Jerusalem. But you'll notice Luke, who's a very careful historian, an investigative reporter, doesn't care to tell us where the village is that this home is found. Uh, what he's wanting to tell us is that the nature of Christ's travel is less important than the nature of Christ's teaching in the text. And the first person he introduces us to, of course, is this woman named Martha. Now, she shows up in three different scenes across Luke's Gospel and John's Gospel. She's almost always found doing something hospitable for guests. She's clearly an active servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. She's clearly active in the discipline of hospitality. And even if you kind of went back and look at those scenes in our text and also later on today, John 11 and 12, what you would see with Martha is that she seems to have a, a forceful personality. 
She's often blunt. She often speaks her mind. She's direct. She's active. We would say in our context today, she's got a type A personality. But what you also want to see about Martha is she has a genuine trust in Christ. You might remember that she had a brother named Lazarus. John chapter 11, Lazarus dies. Jesus comes at the bequest of the family. And Jesus preaches to Martha initially that great gospel truth. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he looks at her in the eyes and says, do you believe this? And she says, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So you need to see a sincere servant of Jesus Christ in Martha. And then we find out that also in this scene is her sister, likely her younger sister, named Mary. And Mary shows up also in a couple of places. And whereas Martha shows up with this kind of hustle of activity, uh, Mary always seems to be sincere in her devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, her adoration of Him. There's even a scene in John chapter 12. You can go home and read it later on today. Not long before Jesus went to the cross at Calvary, Mary takes a bottle of pure nard and anoints Jesus' feet. And we're told that that is essentially uh, worth a year's wages. So deep was Mary's love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So deep is her love for Jesus that all the liberal and unbelieving scholars throughout the centuries have been convinced that there was some sort of romantic attachment between Jesus and Mary because surely no woman would otherwise love a teacher this much. And what we also know is that Jesus loves them both. If you skipped over to John chapter 11, verse 5, John tells us very plainly, and Jesus loved Martha and Mary. So you have Martha, you have Mary, then of course, our third person in the text of interest is Jesus Himself. He's doing what He has been doing throughout Luke's Gospel, even what we've seen Him in chapter 9 and chapter 10 doing, sending out His disciples, sending out His followers to go from town to town, preaching and teaching, to receive hospitality, when it is extended. And so Jesus is there. And He comes into the house. But we also know that there's probably other people there. If you look back at the beginning of verse 38, uh, Luke tells us that there's kind of a plurality to their party. And they went. They went on their way. Jesus didn't always seem to be traveling with 12 disciples or followers or family members or supporters of His ministry. So even though what we see in this passage, Luke, it's like He shines three spotlights on Martha, Mary, and Jesus. There likely is a rather large background audience to everything that we are getting ready to see. But that we order, in order that we see it clearly, he's got these three people he's concentrating our attention on. So kids, let's say you went home later on today, about 2.30 in the afternoon, you heard a loud knock on your door. And you found out it was the Lord Jesus Christ coming into your home. What would be your first impulse of what you wanted to do for the Savior? What would you do if Christ came to your front door? Well, what we see next is these three people, we get two responses from the sisters. And the first response, isn't it a response of devotion? Look at verse 39. Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. Now that may not sound like that big of a deal in our culture and context today. But it is little more than revolutionary and radical at this time in the Jewish culture. Mary is in a room, kind of a family gathering area, that was reserved for men. The women were supposed to be in the kitchen preparing hospitality-like practices. She is sitting at the feet of a rabbi, learning and listening, which was reserved only for men. 
What we know from early documents is that rabbis more or less refused to speak, to sit in front of, and have before them women, Gentiles, and Samaritans. And yet, what do we keep seeing in Luke's Gospel? Who is gathering around the Lord Jesus Christ? All these people. Women. Gentiles. Samaritans. Reminding us, even in a very subtle manner, yet, yet clear manner, that the coming kingdom of Christ is one that overthrows the cultural norms of the time. That the inbreaking of His cosmic everlasting kingdom means that people that are forgotten and forsaken are remembered. People that are marginalized and minimized, He cares for and ministers to like Mary. And the second response, of course, is quite different, isn't it? From Martha, it's the response of distraction. Notice verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Whereas Mary's response is quite unusual, unexpected for the time. Martha's is altogether most usual and most expected. She's going about this ancient Near Eastern practice of being responsible for the hospitality of the guests when they show up. And even it's been funny to me, it's because it's a shorter passage, I've had more time in the text this week, it seems like, than usual. I've been able to talk with more people about the text than usual, read more commentaries, and listen to more sermons on the text than usual. And it has been striking to me how quick everyone leaps to Martha's defense in the course of this passage. For she's genuinely serving, right? She's doing what everyone expects her to do. Even in the room would have said, you're right to be doing it. But what we need to understand is that Jesus is clearly commending Mary's response and correcting Martha's response. He's, of course, not overthrowing service altogether, but he's putting it, isn't he, in its proper proportion and order of priority. And so she's distracted, Luke tells us, with much serving. The word distracted, in the Greek, it has the sense of being pulled away from something. And kids, I bet you've been distracted before when your parents have been talking to you. Maybe they're trying to get your attention. And you just see over your dad's shoulder the TV on in the background. And so you don't listen to what he's saying. Or maybe students, you hear a friend talking to you and you feel your phone buzzing away in your pocket and cannot concentrate on what is in front of you. Even one of our children, he's very much prone to when you send him off to go clean up a room. It feels like most of the time he doesn't ever get there because he sees a nice shiny toy along the way and then he's distracted in the hallway inventing an imaginary world with this toy, distracted with many things from the thing that he should be doing. And this is what Luke is telling us that is true about Mary's life in this moment. But you'll notice as the text continues, uh, the Lord puts something of a little bit more acute diagnosis on it. You notice how verse 40 goes on to say, I'm sorry, she says to the Lord, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So she's gone, notice the pattern, from being distracted to disgruntled. Not just with her sister, but there is a sense with Jesus Christ himself. Because she has got a lot right in that verse, hasn't she? What has she called him? Lord. She acknowledges that he is the one in charge, the one in control, the one who has all authority, who is full of beauty, splendor, majesty, glory, might, strength, and perfection of knowledge. And yet, because she is so focused on what she believes is right and proper, she now begins to have a sense of irritability towards others, even moral superiority over what she is doing. 
related to her sister, even so quick to accuse Jesus. Don't you care? Aren't you compassionate and kind? Don't you see what is happening? Maybe you know it's quite, quite true that we can so often get distracted by things in our life to such an extent that we forget who Jesus Christ is. And we begin to almost preach to ourselves our own self-interest and self-worth because that's what's going on with Martha in this moment. There is a kind of latent self-righteousness and self-interest in what she is doing. Because notice what she goes from doing, being distracted to disgruntled to now dictatorial. She's commanding Christ, isn't she? Do you see what she says? Then tell her, tell Mary, to help me. And if you happen to read Greek, there's something in Greek that I think that makes it a little bit more clear Martha's expectation at this moment because it seems to be as though she expects Jesus to agree with her perspective. You know she should be in here, right? So go tell her that she needs to get in here. And it's true. Do you not know in our service often for Christ and our service in the church that we can quickly become so preoccupied about ministries and service places we are passionate about that we begin to look at others. They should be as passionate about that ministry as I am. And in fact, they should be serving in that ministry as I am. Lord, let's pray together to get more people in this ministry to serve alongside with me. And that's not always necessarily wrong. That's not always necessarily bad, but it is a self-interest at that point. Distraction that leads to disgruntlement and even dictatorial tendency. So here's Jesus' diagnosis. Look, verse 41. He says, Martha, Martha. Now you could read through Luke and you would find multiple times where Jesus repeats the name of a person or a place. And sometimes it highlights an intensity of emotion. So Luke chapter 13. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. Or when Jesus addresses Peter in chapter 22, Simon, Simon. It's meant to convey warning even, possible rebuke. But it can mean, can it? I think it does highlight it here, the tenderness of Christ. Uh, I think what we need to hear here in his tone is a word of, of calm and quiet meant to distill her distraction, to calm her chaos. Martha, Martha. I do that with my oldest son, Hudson Mark Stone. He's the only one of my kids, our six children, that I call by his middle name often. And sometimes it's just, Hudson Mark, come here. Martha, Martha, what does he say? You are anxious and troubled about many things. And some of you, don't you know, the vice-like grip anxiety can bring to your service for Christ? A heart and mind and soul weighed down by so many troubles and cares in the world that you can't even fix your focus on Christ anymore. Is it not true that there is often a case in which a diligent servant of Christ, serving in multiple places with great devotion, with great even Earnestness is nonetheless racked down and weighed down by anxiety, troubles, and distress. And Jesus means to speak a word of peace into that. To correct it even with Martha here. Because you see what he says as the text continues into verse 42. You are troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. So these are our two responses. Response of distraction the response of devotion. And Jesus comes along to say, no, one thing is necessary. Years ago, if you had happened to come across the Berlin Art Gallery, you would have come across a painting by a painter named Adolf Minzel. 
There's a painting of Frederick the Great with his generals talking before a battle. It was his great masterpiece. And he spent so much of his life working in very careful detail of all the generals, their faces, trying to convey the emotions of the moment, sketching in backgrounds, scenic elements in order to convey the anxiety and angst of the battle. But what you would see is where Frederick the Great was supposed to go is just a charcoal-in sketch. They had become so fixated on the other details that by the end of his life, he died before he actually got to put Frederick front and center in the painting that was about Frederick. And, and we can often be the same way, can we not, in Jesus Christ? Uh, you can talk to an old saint that dies in the Lord and ask them, what would you do different if you had your life to live over again? And almost inevitably, you will hear them say something to the effect of a relationship, a communion with Christ being forgotten. We, we dare not become people that are so focused upon the background details and other matters of this life that Christ is never placed front and center in the stage of our life where He actually belongs. You are troubled about many things, Jesus says, Martha. But one thing is necessary. And we can take that in two ways. It could be just culinary. Because the way an ancient manuscript, or most of the ancient manuscripts would read, it would seem to say, Martha, you've got 10 or 12 dishes that you made for this great party, but only one big casserole is really what we needed. <laughs> it's very true. Or, what's probably more likely given what comes in the remainder of verse 42, he's saying, you are focused on serving. So you are focused on hospitality to your guest when you have forgotten that simple attention to the guest is the nature of hospitality. In your service for me, you've actually forgotten me. And so what does he do? He, of course, commends Mary. Look at the end of verse 42. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So students, what's the good portion? Mary's chosen the good portion. What is it? Listening to the word of Jesus Christ. Hearing the word of Jesus Christ. And I think we should hear, or hear something of a comparison in there with, by saying good portion. Jesus is really saying she has chosen the best portion, the better portion, the one that is the priority of first importance. So we should ask then, what's so important about hearing Christ's word? Maybe You've been to Christian churches, wouldn't call yourself a Christian, and you've seen, maybe even in our service so far this morning, evaluation of the Word of Christ. What's the big deal about the Word of Jesus Christ? Well, we could, couldn't we? We could spend pretty much the rest of the afternoon from the entirety of Scripture, me explaining to you why it's so important. But let me just take you on a three-stop tour of what we've already seen in Luke's Gospel, from the Word of Christ as to why it's so important. So if you flip back to Luke chapter 6, what we find out at the end of Luke chapter 6 is that hearing and doing Christ's word allows us to stand at the last day. Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And if you remember the sermon months ago now in chapter 6, we talked about that storm as Jesus talking about the storm of judgment that would come at the last day. And it's only those who hear his word in faith and do it that will be able to withstand against the judgment that sin deserves. Then if you flip ahead to chapter 8, verse 15, 
Jesus is interpreting the parable of the, so the soils. We hear that someone who hears and holds fast to Christ's word bears spiritual fruit. If you look at verse 15, he talks about the fourth soil, which is the only good one. He says, for that that falls in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And then thirdly, if you just look down at verse 21 of that very chapter, chapter 8, you see that hearing and believing Christ's word signals that you're in Christ's family. Because notice what he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So if you just mark those down and meditate on them long enough, what you might begin to see is that each one of those things is pointing to a very distinct gospel reality, a benefit of blessing of being united to Jesus Christ, that hearing the word of Christ brings justification, sanctification, and adoption. Standing before Christ as righteous at the last day, producing Christ-like spiritual fruit, and being a member of his family, a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. How important is hearing the word of Christ? It is eternally important, isn't it? Hearing the word of Christ is the greatest work of Christ's people. Somehow I was reading earlier this week in a 19th century book that was talking about a recipe for rabbit stew. We don't make rabbit stew much anymore, if ever, at our house, and I found it quite interesting the way it instructed novices, such as myself, to make rabbit stew if I wanted to make rabbit stew. And the first instruction, the opening volley of exhortation was, first, catch the rabbit. <laughs> we can take it for granted, can't we? We can forget that which is a first importance. That's simply what this story, among other things, is essentially here to tell us. That in our unswerving belief, Martha's trust in Jesus Christ, she has almost forgotten Him. She has certainly forgotten that which is the priority. And so lest we do the same, I want to just bring out two implications and exhortations from the end of verse 42 as we begin to conclude. Uh, I want you to see, once again, that listening to Christ's word takes precedence. Listening to Christ's word for our spiritual life takes precedence. I remember talking about this text at a pastor's retreat with a pastor friend of mine, and his wife was standing right next to him. And she looked with a smile on her face at me and said, You know, I used to be a Martha. I'm sorry, I used to be a Mary, but then I had four children. And some of you might feel that kind of experimental that experience of the cares of life. You know, students, there might be a point in which you could say, you know, I used to be a Mary, devoted to God's Word, but then the exams came. Then the research papers arrived. You might be single and say, well, I used to be a Mary. Well, then I got married and had children. I used to be devoted to hearing Christ's Word, and then I got a, a job. And then I got promoted. I used to be a Mary, listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the cares of this world began to crowd out my desire to even commune with Him. The Word of Christ takes precedence. What it's reminding us, this story is telling us that there are ordinary things that are good things in our life in Christ. Acts of generosity, acts of hospitality, friends and family being cared for that can so consume our life that we forget to begin to hear Jesus Christ. It's only when Christ's Word is a priority that you're going to be able to serve Him properly. So the danger when you come to texts like this is you walk away and say, well, I just need to be more devoted, more devoted to hearing Christ's word. And there's truth to that. 
And you don't want to fall into the category that says, well, that's just a legalistic understanding of the Christian life. No, we say it is important, but it is a desperate understanding of the Christian life that without Christ's Word, we have nothing. But you must remember this morning the Gospel note of Christ Jesus. It is not your devotion to Him on which you hang your hope. It's His devotion in your place. Because you can do a study of this, maybe you haven't done it before, throughout the Gospels and even Old Testament prophecies, and see how Jesus Christ Himself related to God's Word. Have you ever considered that? What place did hearing God's Word have in the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ? You can find a prophecy in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. The suffering servant was going to come, and the Spirit says, I'm going to wake him up early every morning to speak to him the Word of God that he might have the tongue of the learned in order to count comfort the weary and the hurting. Then we see him, don't we, throughout the Scriptures, devoting himself to God's Word. It was even his devotion to God's Word that he began to understand, of course, that he was going to be the Son of God, not become the Son of God. He was the Son of God sent to save sinners. He was going to die on the cross in the place of sinners. We've seen in this Gospel of Luke, he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. His devotion to God's Word is what helped him persevere unto the cross to die in your place. So we come to Christ, do we not, as a distracted people? Maybe disgruntled. Maybe even dictatorial to the Lord. But hang your hope on His devotion in your place. Because we're in the midst of the story of Luke where Jesus is unswervingly and unwaveringly going to the cross. It's His devotion to get to Calvary. That means you can delight in His Word in your place. So listening to Christ's Word takes precedence. But also see that listening to Christ's Word gives an inheritance. Because you see how Jesus commends Mary at the very end? What she has chosen, this good portion, will not be taken away from her. Now kids, you might know what a good portion is. Maybe your mom bakes a cake later this week and you stare at it and say, I want that piece that's the biggest with the most icing. Or I'm often at breakfast with brothers in Christ and they request the good portion of the bacon, which means extra crispy. Or maybe it's a tin of brownies and you want the, the center piece that's gooey and chewy. Or maybe you're one of the kinds that wants the crunchy corner ends. Our children, we somehow have played a game. I don't know if I call it a game, but we, we often will talk as we're eating dinner. I'll, I'll look at Haddon or Owen. What do you like more, broccoli or carrots? What do you like more? ice cream or cookies, and we just kind of go on and on. But understand, Jesus isn't saying here, what do you like more? Mary chose what she preferred more. He's saying she chose the right thing, the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. Because do you know that it's through the Word of God, hearing the Gospel proclaimed, as Mary is listening to the Gospel of the Kingdom come from the Lord Jesus' mouth, she is hearing the good news of an inheritance. That a kingdom is coming. And in that kingdom is everlasting rest, everlasting joy, eternal blessedness and righteousness at the Father's right hand. It is through the Word, even now, this side of heaven, that we have a down payment of the Holy Spirit given to us that we might understand the inheritance that awaits us. So you have three people. Mary, Martha, and Jesus. Mary and Martha give us two responses that aren't they so ordinary in the Christian life. A response of distraction and a response of devotion. And then you have the commendation of Christ 
reminding us that one thing is necessary for His people. That hearing Christ's Word is the greatest work of His people. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do confess before You that we are a people who are prone to wander. That our sinful desires often lead us astray and that we are quick to focus on the things of this world and forget You. We're quick to listen to many things in this world much more than we are quick to listen to Your Word. So help us to return to You and to return to the great Gospel that is found in Your Word that alone can give us life. For where else would we go? For Your words contain the words of eternal life. So comfort us in Christ, we pray. Help us that we might have appropriate priorities in our service appropriate significance for the place of, of hearing the good news in our life towards you. And we do pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.